Hey guys, I'm Tamara Melton. And I'm Deanna Bellany. We are the co-founders of Diversified Dietetics, a nonprofit community dedicated to increasing the racial and ethnic diversity in the field of nutrition and dietetics. Welcome to Feed Me the Facts. It's Tamara. So one of the things that is of a major concern and can be a barrier but doesn't have to be to nutrition and dietetic students is the whole dietetic internship application process. So if you're new to the dietetics world, um, if someone wants to become a registered dietitian, they first do their bachelor's degree at an accredited program, but then after that bachelor's degree, if you wanna be able to have the credentials of a registered dietitian or registered dietitian nutritionist, then you're required to do an accredited supervised practice or dietetic internship program. And so you'll hear both of those terms, terms used interchangeably. This actually is one of the major areas, and we are still trying to get our hands on the data on this, but this is one of the major areas where we see diversity drop off. You'll see more diverse undergraduate programs, but then when you get into the supervised practice or dietetic internships, we see less diversity. So we wanted to spend a good amount of time on Feed Me the Facts, giving you guys resources around the whole dietetic internship application process. Most dietetic internships use a processing agency called DICUS. And DICUS is something that most programs actually use for students to be able to apply to their dietetic internships. If you don't know what DICUS stands for, I looked it up for you. It's Dietetic Internship Centralized Application Services. And it can be confusing. If you're going through this right now, you know that it can be very confusing trying to figure out not only what programs you want to apply to, that's stressful in and of itself, but also the whole DICUS process. So we knew we wanted to be able to tackle this subject. We are right now, um, at the time of me recording this, a couple weeks out from the April 2019 match deadline cycle, which is on February the 15th, 2019. So some of you guys listening to this are probably right now really stressed, um, but you, we don't want you to be. And some of you listening to this in the future will hopefully find this information very helpful. So when we thought about talking about DICUS, I knew I wanted to talk to somebody who was a program director who actually has is over a dietetic internship. And I met just that lady um, in Washington, D.C. at FINCI this past fall. So we had our first educators workshop for Diversified Dietetics, and I met Miss Kathleen Carosa. She came to our, to our actual workshop, and she was just great. I just loved her personality. And so her name floated to the top very quickly for me when I thought about who do I want to interview and ask questions about. So Kathleen agreed, and so she is here with us today. So Kathleen is currently the DI Program Director, Dietetic Internship Program Director, director at the College of St. Elizabeth in Morristown, New Jersey. And she earned her Master of Arts in Food Science degree from New York University, NYU, and she worked for some years in child nutrition programs and food service management and teaching, obviously, before she came to be the program director. And under her tenure, her program at the College of St. Elizabeth has doubled in its capacity and has become a combined master's and internship program. So Kathleen has plenty of experience and knowledge to let us know about this whole DICUS internship process. 
Kathleen, thank you so much for being on this episode of the podcast. My pleasure. And we wanted to have this topic and, and go over this just because we know that this is probably one of the most, the whole DICUS dietetic internship application process portion is probably one of the most stressful points in any registered dietitian's educational pathway. <laughs> it's very overwhelming at times when you look at the whole picture of what you have to do. Exactly. And there's, it's multi-layered and things like that. So we have a lot that we want to jump into. And so I will go ahead and, and start off by asking you, first of all, for anybody who's really new to the whole dietetic internship process, what is the purpose of an internship or supervised practice? Is this necessary for a student to do if they want to work in nutrition? So if you want to become a registered dietitian or at the tech level, a technician registered, the supervised practice component is really meant to demonstrate that not only do you know the information, but that you can use it, that you can apply it and you would be a competent professional in doing so. And if you think about it, all healthcare-related professions do require their practitioners to practice under others to make sure that you're um, applying knowledge appropriately and to help you build confidence. I think that's one thing that really happens during the internship year is really applying that knowledge and building your confidence in doing so. And as the old saying goes, practice makes perfect. And it's really a matter of giving you that opportunity to practice. And that is really important to have before you jump into your career because... Yeah, and the other thing is it really helps students figure out what area of practice they want to go into. We often find that students have one idea coming into the internship and then um, they're through all the different areas that they're exposed to. They may pick up on some skill set they have or find another area that they never thought they would have liked that they actually love. And I think that's also a really important component is that to be competent at entry level, you have to know um, less about a lot of things. But then as you develop your career, you become more specialized and know a lot more and become expert in one or two things. And so the internship helps you figure that out, not only what you like, but also as internship directors, I know myself and my um, colleagues, we're really trying to get students to figure out and help them find what they're best at. That is so true. So short personal story, <laughs> which I laugh at myself because my program director, Barb Hopkins, who's now a good friend of mine, um, when I came into the program, I just knew I wanted to be a nutrition support dietitian. And I uh, passed out at my nutrition support rotation because the, uh, that team of dietitians worked with the, the nurses and, and I went up with the nurses to a room to, to place a pick line in a patient. And I didn't realize they were going to use a scalpel and be blood. And so I realized, I remember thinking like, oh, I'm so glad I have all these other rotations to go through. So I know exactly what yep. I want to do in this career. Yep. Like yep. you just mentioned. So it, it, is, it is very important. It's a really important part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's, and it's fun. I, I really enjoyed at least even the parts you didn't necessarily like you at least get to appreciate what your what your colleagues are working in. Um, as you go out and start practicing because everybody has their different specialty. Exactly. Areas. And I and I think you 
get an appreciation for what those other areas of practice require so that when you are working with colleagues in different areas or referring, you can have a good sense of it. Sometimes students go into an area thinking that's exactly what they're going to want to do. And like, just like you, they find out not so much, but wow, I never thought I would love this area so, so much as I do. And, um, and it, it's, it's great because it gives you that opportunity to really grow. And those are the best interns, those interns who come into the program saying, yeah, I have an interest, but I'm really excited to learn about all aspects of the profession and those who want to appreciate all the different areas, um, I think do a better, they do a better job, but also they are more satisfied during their program because they're more open to getting those different experiences. Yes, you'll be happier if you just don't set up any expectations for yourself. Yep, yep. Experience it as you go through. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the actual sure. internship application. So what are some common parts of that, that whole application a student has to complete? So it's really important for students to recognize that the diecast application is one component and then the matching company is a second component. So let's first start with diecast. So there's going to be some basic demographic and educational background information. You also will have to provide your transcripts. And one big thing I see happening with students is that they don't order their transcripts early enough. You want to order them right about now when your semester's ending. You want your fall, if you're doing a um, spring match, you want your fall grades noted. So you want to do it soon after the semester. Um, you want to request those transcripts soon after the semester's over and get them sent to DieCast early on in the process. Because what happens is DieCast is getting hundreds of transcripts. You have to have one from every place you went to school. And they're scanning those into the system and into your um, section of the portal. And as a student, as you start getting closer to the deadline, you start having anxiety and panic attacks because some of them are missing. And then you order them again. And then when we open your packet, there's three copies of your transcript from one school. So it's important if you start that piece early, but not too early, like right around now, as soon as your semester's over to get that request in is perfect because then you know your transcript's going to get there, it's going to be scanned, and it's going to take some stress off of you. This, the next piece is your narrative. And I can't emphasize enough that if your schools you're applying to have a specific component of the narrative that's different from the diecast information or just looking at what diecast is telling you to cover is important. For me as a director, I'm looking for the fact that the student has addressed the actual questions and not just gone so far off on a tangent because it tells me they can follow directions and that they can um, respond to specific types of questions. Um, it, it's really important to have someone read your narrative. It's very hard to have people read what you write. It's, 
it's almost um, so personal that it can feel overwhelming to have someone read and critique what you write. But what I always tell students at my open houses is get your meanest friend to be the one to read your narrative. The one who's <laughs> actually going to tell you that right. was ridiculous. That was great. The one who's really going to be hard on you. And then of course, if you have a friend who's studying journalism or English or, or something like that, and is a really good writer, that's helpful too. Um, it's really important also to make sure that um, your narrative, if you're stating the name of the school anywhere, that when you upload them, you upload them to the right school. As, as a director, I get it that students and also working with undergrads as I do, teaching um, higher level undergrad management courses, I get that they're such so stressed at this time doing these applications. But our selection committee gets really bent out of shape if they see the name of another school and they say, oh, they're applying to us, but in their narrative, they mentioned a different school. Well, I know you're applying to other schools and I know it was a mistake, but that um, can really turn people off and it could actually mean them not ranking you just because they say, you know, you really haven't paid enough attention. And so really being careful with your narrative if you are naming the school and why you're a good fit for that school that you make sure you upload it. It seems so basic and simple, but it's important because we've seen it happen. For recommendations, you should have a good idea. In our program, we ask for a faculty and a work related that may or may not be related to um, nutrition. And we ask for a third. It's, I've seen things like a good friend that you've worked with, um, a relative who happens to be a doctor, that's a bad direction to go. You wanna find someone who knows your skills. It might wind up being a volunteer experience, a second faculty, and give them some lead time and some information about yourself, about where you're, you know, why you're maybe applying, what you think your strengths are, a resume, something that helps them write a nice letter and that will be important. So making sure that you've made good choices on um, people who can speak to your strengths and how you've grown over the time that they've known you. And then for some programs, they do request a resume or some other item. Um, if it's a combined master's internship or a coordinated master's program, make sure you know whether they need the GREs and those kind of things. So those are really the components of the diecast application that are important. And once you start loading information, go back and double check that everything is missing because your application will indicate that it's complete or it's incomplete and what's missing. And that will help you follow up with something that's missing. And it could be that someone didn't, they forgot to get to your um, recommendation and get it uploaded. It could be that loan transcript that's missing. So it's important to take a look at that. So I think those are my big um, recommendations for, you know, being up on things with um, diecast. That's a lot of steps. Yes, it's a <laughs> lot. It really is. Yeah, that's a lot. So students get organized. And if you um, have trouble with that, you know, get somebody to to help out with with helping to organize all those different pieces, especially it starts to grow and multiply with the more programs that you apply to um, because you have that. It's one thing that you mentioned, Kathleen, I want to kind of a little tip that I, I like to tell students and anybody who needs to replace. You mentioned the 
the name of the schools. Yes. I can't tell you how many applications I've also reviewed on committees. And you do see, um, like I work at Georgia State University, and we see UGA, University of Georgia, all the time. And that right. it, is, it is what it is. So I always tell students in Microsoft Word, and you can do this in any Microsoft product, look for the find and replace feature. Yep. And go through, find and replace, put in the one school, and put in the next school name or any, um, you know, phrase that you want to change and then that way at least you can go through and, and find those areas where you might have that because you're right there's that one person who will find that and have issue with it thinking yes. that the student does not have an eye for detail but you can just be stressed out and forget yep. to do that portion so yep. I want to dig a little bit deeper Kathleen into the personal statement because sure. that is the you know everybody has their transcripts everybody has even their you know, other things and we'll talk about resume, but your personal statement is where you talk about yourself personally. So what are some, some things that students should keep in mind as far as the content, the format, and then what are some common pitfalls that, that you've seen that applicants have when they're writing their personal statement? Sure. Well, aside from that one that we just talked about with making sure they named the right school, simple grammar checks. Um, sometimes, you know, when you're typing, sometimes you're just transposing letters and um, just making sure that spell, spelling is correct and use the grammar check features that, that are there for you in most um, you know, word processing software. And as I mentioned, asking someone to read it, answering the questions that are asked. And then I think really trying to communicate to the program why you want to apply to that program and why you feel you're a good fit. Um, we really, I like creativity in the writing as far as um, some kind of a personal story is helpful, but I think you have to be careful about where that line is. So in nutrition, we definitely see a lot of students who've had their own struggles with um, disordered eating. And so being willing to mention that if you think that that is important in how you decided to get involved in nutrition, but doing it in a way that indicates that you are um, for sure understanding that you've recovered. So it's really important, I think, for a program to um, feel that this person does not have a problem still. So that I think is a big pitfall for students who are on that aspect of feeling like I want to share, but how much do I share? So just really being thoughtful about where that line is, um, is important. And I think if you look at the school's mission and the school's, um, you know, concentrations or focuses that they might have, kind of communicating why you think those are good for you, why you think they might be a good fit for you. That's really important as well. I, I, you just made me think of something um, when you mentioned about students who might have some, have, have eating disorder um, and letting, indicating to the, the application committee that, admissions committee that, that they have gotten a handle on that right that relates to any struggle in life um, right absolutely you no know, they may have absolutely. had some struggle that was related to who knows whatever it is procrastination whatever it is absolutely 
but you do want to show kind of either how have you coped with that or corrected it if it was something that you did yourself and not kind of leave it any loose ends out there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Close a loop. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's good to kind of feel that you're communicating something about yourself as a person, but also recognizing where that line might be. And for an internship director, the internship is so stressful that one of our worries is always, is that person well enough to manage and cope with the stress level and not have a relapse during the program? Or if they did, would they be able to find ways to get help and admit that they needed help? is important because like you said, it could be any life struggle. Um, and especially the stress level is a challenge. So making sure that you're communicating that, yes, I did this, this was a troubled patch, but here's what I've been able to do to cope and here's how I've grown and here's why I want to want to give back um, is important. Good deal. All right. So, um, now we're talking about resumes because those are often yep. part of the, the application as well. I do think that one of the things that students worry about is that they don't have enough on their resumes. So what kind of information um, are you looking for when you look at a student's resume? I guess I can't speak for all programs, but we award points for different attributes of the of the applicant. So the GPA, the, the narrative, the recommendations, and then a work level experience. So for me on the resume, I'm trying to pair up what their work is with what they've listed on their diecast application to give, you know, specific points. We have kind of guidance ranges of work experience and type of work experience that we award points to, to try to be as objective as possible. And so I'm looking for that. And, um, for some students, they may not have a lot of work experience. So trying to kind of highlight what your skills are and what experiences you have had, whether it's in a volunteer activity or, you know, were you able to demonstrate leadership? Did you participate in a club or an activity where you went from being a member to being head of a committee to being treasurer or coordinator of something. So showing some growth in your leadership skills is something that we look at. Um, And so I think, again, back to those real basics of the resume, having appropriate spelling, formatting, so all of those kind of things, a little bit of creativity. We had a student once whose last name was um, salmon and she actually had like a little fish as a part of her little logo for herself so you know that was really kind of cute and that was okay but if you had taken that a little too far you know we don't i've also seen things that are like you know little cutesy uh paper that has you know puppies on it type thing you don't want to go that way you know you want to keep it on a don't do that people yeah no you want to keep it on a professional (laughs) level so i think just also everybody's school has some type of um program at the school learning center or resource center or um, career services that would look at a resume for you so i don't think that's a bad idea because whether you go into an internship or not get matched and have to look for a job having someone with a professional expertise at looking at resumes is never a bad idea but again you can't wait till the last minute 
because all of these people are working with multiple students. So just kind of taking that proactive step of getting started now is helpful. Planning has been coming up over and over again. Yes, yes. So does a student need to have volunteer experience in nutrition on their resume? Is that necessary? Again, I can't speak for all directors, but my, what I, my advice to students is I want to see that a student has a commitment to something and has developed skills in that area not just that they've done a hundred nutrition fairs. You know, it's nice to get that experience with doing those one-off activities that people are always asking students to do, and those are helpful. But to me, I want to. I would be more interested if you had a commitment to a particular um, charity because of your. Um, affiliation at a, a religious organization or because of a certain disease that's in your family and so you're really interested in participating in the cancer society something or other so to me i feel like showing a level of commitment to a particular um cause and then or activity on campus and then how have you worked your way through that and been a really active supporter is more important in my mind than a hundred one-off activities. Um, that being said, if all of those activities were with kids and you want to work with kids down the road, and so you've purposely looked at doing volunteer activities that involve teaching kids, nu teaching nutrition, teaching cooking, um, you can then kind of emphasize that, that you've you know you have an affinity for working with children and you've done this and this and this by the same token it might be senior citizens and you've delivered for meals on wheels and you've done activities at congregate feeding but you can make that into um a focus of your skill set that you can then emphasize how you have been able to um grow with that and learn so maybe you've really learned um, something about cultural competence or something along those lines because of what you have done. Does that make sense? It definitely does. It's, yeah. it's, it's, um, so you mentioned, when you mentioned the, the career services on your yes. campus, go yes. there. <laughs> yes. you're, you're feeling like, okay, oh. I hear what she's saying, but it's, I don't know quite how to to make this happen, go utilize those resources. Yep. I always tell students, those student fees, they always ask, why do I pay these fees? That's why you pay those fees. <laughs> right. That's what they're for, resources like that that you pay those for. We touched a little bit on the letters of recommendation, but I have a couple more questions about that. Sure. So first things first, is it a red flag for applicant? They're coming from a DPD program. Is it a red flag if their program director does not write one of their letters of recommendation? I think it depends on the size of their program. If you're at Penn State or Rutgers or Ohio State and your, your DPD director has a lot of students, I would not think it was strange. But if you're at a smaller school and they seem to have a smaller program, it might seem a little bit off. That being said, I still think if you have a better relationship with another faculty who can really speak to your background, 
there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, sometimes I'm working with students in a different way. I teach the two management courses and um, right now we started Campus Kitchen, a food recovery program. So I'm working with a particular student really closely. And it, to me, I would be able to indicate in a letter of recommendation for that student why I'm working with that student in a recommendation. And I think it, it could come across. So I think if you have been a TA for a faculty or if you just have had a lot of classes with a different faculty, sometimes you have a lot of classes with one faculty who's not the DPD director. So I don't necessarily think it's a red flag. Um, some people might think that, but I think if it's a really big program or if it's obvious in the recommendation why you picked someone. What is a red flag to me is if you haven't asked any of the full-time faculty and you have an adjunct writing the letter. That is a little hmm. suspect. So, you know, you're at a school that has five or six full-time faculty. Most likely you've had at least one of them more than once but you're choosing like the adjunct who you had for one class seems a little strange. Um, unless that adjunct is someone who teaches medical nutrition therapy and you got an A in that class. So it does depend on the situation, but I do think at least one full-time faculty of the college would be appropriate. And if it can't be the DPD director or you've had a run-in with the DPD director or you just don't feel the DPD director and you have um, are on the same on the same plane, then I think it's okay to ask someone else, but try to think about why you're asking that person. Most faculty try to tell a student if they really don't feel they're the best person to represent them in a letter, and that can be very awkward, but I think it it does happen that faculty will say, I don't feel I'm the best person. Um, and that can, that can feel awkward, but also you do want the person who's going to give you a good recommendation to write to you, write it for you. So if someone isn't willing to write it, you also have to kind of take a step back. And if that person is your DPD director and you've asked and the DPD director has actually said, I'm not willing to write it, then you need to rethink, okay, is this the right time for me to be applying? What is it about what's happened over my experience at this school that isn't working? Um, and try to ask that person to give you more feedback. That's, that's really interesting and made me think of, I've had students reach out to me who I had not taught in four or five years. Right, um, it's a red, that's a red flag. Yeah, and so what if somebody uh, graduated a few years back, so they're just applying now to the internship, uh, their dietetic internship, and their faculty, because faculty move and shift, and it's been a few years since somebody actually taught them, should they still seek out their faculty who taught them or the program director, or should they focus in on their manager or supervisor at work, because that's the person who really has been around them the last few years? I think it depends on what the um, program is asking because some programs specifically ask for an educator. Um, so I would definitely want 
to have the person I've been working with write a letter and maybe my second letter be someone else that I work with, like trying maybe two people that I'm currently working with. Let's say you've been working at WIC and you have um, a dietitian as a director, but you also have a dietitian as a colleague. I would be more likely, especially if you're not outside friends with that colleague, you know, to ask them and then if there is someone in your educational program. If you've been out four or five years, the other issue with that is some schools are gonna be wanting you to have a more updated medical nutrition therapy class. So that's kind of the other red flag is if you have been, if you applied maybe initially or you didn't think you were ready or you were saving money and then you are now four or five years out and you've been working, um, and it's been going well, but you realize I really want my RD, you sometimes also want to look at what the program's recommendation is for re recency of um, coursework. And I would say the biggest one would be medical nutrition therapy, just because so much is always changing. You know, we had a time where we weren't using nutrition care process and then nutrition care process came in and then, and standardized language, of course. And then now we're looking at if you were educated four or five years ago, you might have had no exposure to um, nutrition-focused physical assessment or physical exams. So it could be a red flag time-wise, even you know, not just the fact that it's hard to get a recommendation, but is the school going to look at me the same way without an updated course? And so if a student's retaking a, an M&T course, that could be the professor. Exactly, the exactly. The letter of recommendation. Exactly. That makes sense, and it actually it all yeah. works out. Um, yeah, and we actually had almost that identical situation with a student who applied and um, had a fairly, you know, a lower GPA originally. And, um, you know, I reached out to her and said, at this point, your GPA is lower, but also the bigger concern is that your MNT courses were like seven years ago. So why don't you look at retaking those and reapplying? Because you've obviously grown a lot, you've been working, but the committee's not going to look favorably on, you know, ranking you at this point under this situation. So, and she's doing that now and she's doing really well in that class. So I'm sure that she has a much better chance this year of getting um, ranked. How do students find, um, let's say they've been out of school for a few years, they're not engaged with the academic community necessarily, they are working full time. How do they find maybe an online, online course, an MNT course that they can, that they can take? Um, that can be a challenge. There are um, programs that are accredited um, that you can find at the Eat Right website on the, um, you know, section where you can kind of search programs. You can put in online only, and so you can find some. Some of the challenges are some of the bigger schools, um, it, it can be hard to get, you know, to figure out how do I get in just for this class, but those are accredited programs and their courses are online, so that is one route. Um, another might be to look at a graduate program level course online, which sometimes is easier to find, and just even contacting your local, whatever your closest college to where you're working is, and find out what their situation is. Sometimes if you've been working and the person you're, and you're a good employee, and you're, 
um, strong in your work ethic and in all of the attributes that people look at. You're flexible, you're, you have good communication skills, and you've been working for a while, but your director's an RD and that person knows you're not an RD. Sometimes they'll work with you with flexing your hours to be able to help you take those classes, even if you can't find something online. Good points to go to those schools that are nearby. And we'll link in the show notes to that page on the eatright.org yeah, website. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm, where you can go and see that. So, so that, so we went over a lot of information, but this is really helpful. I know it, it, it might raise a thousand more questions. <laughs> and if it does, <laughs> if it does, we'll have, um, we'll have Kathleen's contact information. You guys know the diversified dietetics community. You can, uh, you know, hit us up on Instagram or things like that to ask more questions. That's why we're here. Kathleen, do you have any other tips for applicants related to Dicus or the D&D or anything else related to this process? Make sure you know what the deadlines are. We have seen it before where a student did everything in diecast and didn't realize that D&D was a separate company with a separate fee and a separate process. Um, so making sure that you are doing both of those, if you're doing an application to a program that's participating in matching, which is most of the programs, not every single program because future model programs aren't doing that. But definitely with DICAS and D&D, make sure you follow their deadlines. And then some schools like ours have a slightly earlier deadline for any application fee for the school. Um, we do that because years ago when we had paper applications, by now we would have had half of our applications. With the electronic applications, we tend to find that we have, you know, 10% of the applications and the next day, the other 90% after the deadline, everyone's clicking the last possible minute because they're double checking and triple checking things. So making sure that any program um, specific deadlines are followed is helpful as well. This give, For us, it gives us time. Um, we Our deadline is February 1st for that piece because then we can really start thinking about when we're going to do our interviews and we don't have to wait until the 15th because we start our interviews right that week. Um, And the other thing, I guess, my last bit of advice that I like to tell students is go to open houses or um, listen to the open house information that people have posted online, read about the program, and really make sure that you only apply to programs that you want to go to because you could get matched to any of the programs you apply to. Yes. (laughs) We're going to say that again. Yes. Don't Make apply for sure. yes. <laughs> don't apply where you don't want to go. Yes. You end up and, there. Yes, exactly. And really think about um, if your program is out of state, is it realistic financially? Where are you going to live? Do you know someone you might be able to live with? Um, for those of us on, you know, in suburban areas that are expensive to live in, a student coming from a small community in the Midwest is going to really have culture shock with the price of apartments. So thinking all of that through, not just looking at the program, but really looking at the big picture because the best match for you is a program that you can afford, a program that you like their, um, you know, the vibe they give off as well as what concentration they have and a program where you feel, um, kind of that you can be a part of a team to learn what you need to learn. Well, Kathleen, this is so much good information. Um, I 
wish I'd had this. And I did, (laughs) but I I think about how all of it kind of came, you know, this coming together. So I'm sure some of you are taking notes on this, but you can go back and listen again and again. And we will have Kathleen's contact information as well as her um, link to her program that she's actually over at the College of St. Elizabeth that she is a program director of. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Happy to answer any questions people have. Just shoot me an email. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed our episode today, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. You can also learn more about the Diversified Dietetics community by visiting our website, diversifieddietetics.org, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Diversified Dietetics or on Twitter at DiversifyRDN. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.